right, worship. I just want to let you kids know I haven't forgot about you guys in worship. Um, I've just been so overwhelmed with work and just day-to-day minutiae that I've got all on my plate I can stand right now. But eventually I'd like to get back to working with the kids. Uh, certainly not opposed to anything else there. Open to anything if somebody else wants to step in there and help out. Uh, our youth are important to us. Uh, you guys are the future, so it's important for us to train you guys up, okay? So I wanted to make sure I made a note of that. Okay, done with the housekeeping. Let's get to the sermon. Uh, I want to open up with a word of prayer this morning, so if you'd bow with me. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just ask that you will bless this time, bless the words that come out of my mouth, so they encourage this body of believers, and that your word may be preached and boldly proclaimed this morning. Thank you for your son, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. If you guys grow up going to Sunday school, you most likely have heard the story of Uzzah. U-Z-Z-A, Uzzah. That's found in Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 6. So the story goes kind of like this. After David had defeated the Philistines, Uzzah was tasked with transporting the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. When they approached the threshing floor, the ox pulling the cart stumbled, and Uzzah reached up and touched the Ark to ensure that it wouldn't tip over. And God became very angry and struck Uzzah dead right next to the ark there on the ground. You know, at some point, you've got to ask yourself, God seemed to get really upset at the most least little thing, didn't he? And why? After all, he did what any of us else in this room would have done, right? The ark starts to... Peter and Tip, you're just going to reach up and grab it, right? Steady it. Boom, dead. Obviously, there is a message there for us. Let's see if we can find it. So let's go back and study the text together. Let's go to 2 Samuel 6. And I'll be starting in verse 1 here. David again brought together out of Israel chosen men, 30,000 in all. He and all his men set from Bala to Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim that are on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with songs and with harps, lyres, tambourines, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, 
God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. Now, you've got to remember, all words in the Bible have meaning. So what could seem at face value is just a story of God kind of giving us a hard time. Let's look a little deeper. So if you go back to Numbers 4, don't go there, I'm going to read it to you. We see God's instruction on how to pack and move the tabernacle. Verse 15 reads, After Aaron and his sons have finished covering the holy furnishings and the holy articles, and when the camp is ready to move, the Kohathites are to come do the carrying. But they must not touch the holy things or they will die. Okay, there sounds like a clue. So the Kohathites were to be the porters. <laughs> and only priests were allowed to touch the holy things. Uzzah, he wasn't a priest. And he was moving the ark outside the explicit instructions from Moses. Could that be a driving factor in his death? It said God's anger burned against Uzzah. And we find in 1 Chronicles 15, 13, why? And I'm quoting here. It was because you, the Levites, did not bring up the first time that the Lord our God broke out in anger against us. We did not inquire of him about how to do it in the prescribed way. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves in order to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. And the Levites carried the ark of God with the poles on their shoulders, as Moses had commanded them to do in accordance with the word of the Lord. So, they didn't inquire of the Lord on how to do it the prescribed way, and they didn't carry it on their shoulders. Uh, I'm not sure, you know, what they were thinking. I mean, did they forget? I don't understand how you could forget something like that, especially if the result was death. <laughs> so, there is more to this story, but I want to pause here and look at another one, okay? Numbers chapter 11. So here we have the Israelites. They're wandering in the desert for the 40 years. They've just escaped Egypt. And God had just finished performing the miracle of parting of the Red Sea. By the way, i got to imagine that was a huge faith-building exercise for them to see. Wall of water here, wall of water here, and they crossed on dry land, and then it closed behind them. Faith. Unfortunately, <laughs> after seeing the parting of the Red Sea, it doesn't take long before Israel's faith had waned and they began complaining to God. So you got to understand, when they left Egypt, they were carrying their food and water on their back with them. They took provisions. But obviously, it didn't take long before they ran out. The first thing they ran out of was water. And that, that story is in Exodus 15. It tells about the people finding water at Marah but it was too bitter to drink. So God directed Moses to throw a piece of wood in there, and instantly it became sweet for them to drink. They drank their fill, filled all their canteens up, and they were on their way, satisfied. God provided for them. 
So I gotta say, that's gotta seems like another huge faith building exercise to me, watching God just turn that bitter water sweet. So I would think, you know, at this point, they're kind of thinking, man, this God is pretty cool. He's going to take care of us, but no. Those stiff-necked people. Next, they run out of food and begin complaining to Moses again. Exodus 16.3, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out in this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Boy, that's pretty courageous of those rascals. But again, God heard their complaints and vowed to rain down bread from heaven. And that's exactly what he did. At twilight, the Lord rained down quail and they ate meat and then woke up to manna covering the ground after the dew was gone. Manna, all over the ground. God specifically stated that the Israelites were to only take as much as they needed for one day. If they took more, and some did, by the next morning it would be spoiled. They couldn't eat it. Okay? God was determined to show the people of Israel how dependable He could be. I'm going to take care of you. You only need to worry about food today. I'm going to feed you, and then tomorrow I'm going to feed you again. That seemed to satisfy the people for a little while. But then they complain again. Numbers 11, 4 through 6 states, the rabble with them, the rabble or the angry mob of people, began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. All the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onion, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Oh yeah, you remember eating all that food, do you? Have you forgotten that you were oppressed in slavery? That the Egyptians made your lives bitter with hard labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. and all their hard labor, the Egyptians used you ruthlessly. Well, i got to say, I'm starting to see why God's getting a little upset because I'm kind of getting fired up too. I want to slap these guys upside the head and say, what are you thinking? So as you guessed it, upon hearing this, God became very angry. All that hard work and brick and mortar and those rascals complained that all they had to do was get up in the morning, go out, gather the food, and eat it. So let's read God's response to this latest complaint. And I have a feeling this might blow your mind a little bit. So get ready. Numbers 11, we'll start in verse 18. Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt. 
Now the Lord will give you meat, and you will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day, or two days, or five, ten, or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it. Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you, and you have wailed before him, saying, Why did we never leave Egypt? So the next day, God rained down quail three feet thick as far as a day's walk in any direction from the camp. That's about approximately 24 miles. There. Three feet thick. Be good to be tall, I guess. Some of you short guys. <laughs> You'd be swimming in quail that already be coming out your nostrils. And it says, while the meat was still between their teeth, God's anger burned against them and cursed them with a plague, which, by the way, he had vowed not to do if, if they obeyed his commands and followed his decrees. Folks, are you starting to see what angers God? Faithlessness? Not believing in God? In God? After he just parted an ocean for you? And then he purifies the water and rains down manna from heaven. Obviously, God is bending over backwards to try and be their God and provide for their every need. And all he gets, I want to be back in slavery. Folks, are you starting to figure out that there's a parallel to real life here? For example, I don't want to go to church this morning. I missed the football game. Which is their actual worship. Or how about Oh, I haven't seen God do anything that great. Have you gone out and looked at the stars lately? There's only 300 billion stars in our Milky Way. 300 billion. The closest, it takes 94 trips around the earth to get there. And this is what I get. I want to go back to living my way. I know what I want to do and that's what counts. And what they're actually saying is, I want to be back in slavery because here's the slavery they're in. They're going to die. Every one of us is. And they'd rather go back to live in their own way. I can do it myself rather than serve a God who will take care of them, love them for their every need. They don't get that God is relenting on the curse from Genesis chapter 3. No longer would they have to earn their food by the sweat of their brow. All they had to do was obey God, and when they got up each morning, they would walk out and pick up the food.
I have a story I want to tell you here, a little short story. My cousin, I have a cousin that lives down in Montrose, and uh, he's a couple years older than me. And uh, I don't know, he's, I'd say he's had a rough life. I mean, he grew up, his parents split up at an early age. And his mom mostly raised him. I don't think his dad wanted anything to do with him much. He lived in the same town as his father his entire life. So here, in the last couple of years, he ended up losing both his mom and his dad in the same year. And uh, obviously it's shaken him a little bit because he started showing up to family events a little bit more, being more outgoing. So I thought, well, maybe this is my opportunity to plant some seeds. So when I was texting with him one day, I texted him and said, hey, uh, have you ever been immersed in the waters of baptism for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit? And I was kind of surprised by his response because I knew he grew up in the Catholic Church, so I thought maybe he'd at least cite his infant baptism. Well, let me read to you what what he texts me. Not baptized, no interest in doing so. I'm not a religious person, Therese, and I don't see myself becoming one. But I don't knock religion either. I know it has the power to help people, but I'm good. Thumbs up emoji. I got to say, initially his response hurt me. I hurt. It just hurt to hear that. Not that. It just hurt to hear that somebody who has shut the door completely has no idea. And I can't say that I blame him. I mean, if you grow up on this earth without any kind of a, an earthly creator of a model, a father here, I think you're behind the eight ball immediately. You've got a lot of catching up to do. But I don't know what to do with that other than just continue to plant and water seeds if, if, they, if the opportunity arises. But he was definitely, I don't want any of that stuff. God wants to be a part of everything in your life. After all, he created you for his pleasure, his company, and for you to, to desire to serve him. Okay. Now let's look at some New Testament application here where we can see this shadow revealed. Old Testament stories cast a shadow of the things to come, but we can't make out what the shadow is until it's revealed to us through Christ. Colossians 2, 16-17 says, Therefore, Do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Now turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. Starting in verse 13, it says, The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. 
How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from the from the acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. John chapter 6. Now let's look at the, the, the shadow of the manna story turning to the reality in the New Testament. You guys all know the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus has a large crowd of people following him while he is performing miracles. It was time to eat, but they didn't have enough food to feed all the people, so a boy donated five loaves of bread and two fish. And after Jesus gave thanks, fed the entire 5,000. The chapter goes on to say that Jesus is the bread from heaven. Let's pick up the text in verse 26 here. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus feeding the 5,000 here is the retelling of the manna story back in Exodus. By not being grateful for the manna, the people were rejecting Jesus and therefore God. They could not see the manna as a reprieve from Adam's curse in Genesis 5. Exodus 16, the manna story, is a prophecy of the rejection of God by Israel's rejection of Jesus as the true bread of life. I'm going to read that again. Exodus 16 is a prophecy of the rejection of God by Israel's rejection of Jesus as the true bread of life. The story of Uzzah that we started with, it's the gospel story, man. Uzzah, an innocent man, had to die so the rest could repent and continue on their journey to Jerusalem, heaven. Jesus, an innocent man, bore on his shoulders the old condemning covenant and placed it on the cross so the human race can repent and continue on their journey to heaven. 
Let's close with Matthew 6. So we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount here. And I didn't take all the scripture that was here. I just took a little portion of it. Let's start in verse 25. Matthew 6, 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body. What you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then all this other stuff gets, you don't have to worry about it. Don't worry about it. Your focus is doing it God's way, and fixing your eyes on things above. Just keep a toe dipped in this earth. God has a plan for each and every one of you, and he desperately wants to be a part of your life. Make the choice today to let him in on all aspects of your life. I guarantee you won't regret it. Amen.